Well, good morning. Um, good morning, indeed, and welcome to the, today's webinar um, focused on the United Arab Emirates and the energy transition leadership. Uh, we're delighted to welcome back Henry Tillman, founder and editor of China Investment Research and Grison's Peak Services, um, a good friend of the FS Club. And uh, Henry, we're look, very looking forward to the session today. Um, you'll know me. Um, I'm Mike Wardle. I'm uh, the Chief Executive Officer at CEN. Uh, my job here today is to just hold, hold the chairmanship and to moderate the session. Um, and by way of introduction, uh, first of all, some thanks. Um, we are very fortunate at the FS Club uh, to have a range of sponsors who support us in uh, and enable us in providing uh, such a wide range of content. Um, and we are really are grateful uh, for their continued support. Uh, the program today is very simple. Um, I have a few minutes to introduce the session. Uh, we'll have the keynote presentation from Henry, and then there'll be time for Q&A towards the end. Um, if you want to ask a question, uh, the way to do it is to find the question tab on the GoToWebinar dashboard on your screen, uh, type in your question or your comment, your observation, um, and that will come uh, to us. And you can type that in, and we would like you to uh, respond at any point during the, uh, during the session today. If you do put a question in, we'll uh, give your contact details to Henry uh, after the event to make sure that if there's no need for any further discussion or follow-up, uh, that can take place. Um, and also to say that today the session is being recorded. Uh, this means that if you miss anything vital, you can go back and uh, re-watch it, um, or you can indeed share a link to the recording uh, with your friends and colleagues who you feel may be interested. And the recording will be up and live on the site within a couple of days. I think that's all um, by way of uh, the housekeeping for today. Um, it's a real pleasure to introduce Henry Tillman. Um, and Henry tracks um, investments uh, across the world uh, and what's really happening in terms of uh, capital flows. Really looking forward, Henry, to your insights today. Uh, the floor is yours. Thank you very much. Good morning to all. Um, I uh, would like to say in the entry remarks that I'm going to walk you through a document. Unfortunately, it has too many words. I've done that because it has to go out to several people. Um, but I'm not going to bore you with the words today. I'll, I'll, I'll highlight certain numbers among those among the text. We really speak off-piste with things I can't reduce to writing, and uh, which are macro trends driving all of this, and which are quite extraordinary in the in the world we live in today, where I don't find people speaking about it except for very senior levels. So with that as a background, maybe I get to the first page. Thank you. Uh, and again, I'm not going to have you read all this, but the, the the basic highlights are the top is really to talk about people think of we think, think of hydrocarbons. Uh, that that's not that's changing rapidly. And then the second part is really we talk about the uh, the boom they've had in stock markets in 22 and 23. We then look a little farther down the road with the GCC rail and how that works into uh, a bigger rail, uh, which Mr. Biden was talking about previously, which had been agreed two years ago before he turned up. And uh, then we talk a bit about Mastar and how to show you how fast they grow. And then we give you some examples of how that goes into Africa. If, uh, if you get the next page, please. Here's the page everyone thinks about when they think of UAE, hydrocarbons. You see the second bullet point, number six in the world. Six bullet, that's an oil number, uh, the fifth bullet point. They're seventh in the world in LNG. Um, and you can also see the middle bullet points are going from 3 million barrels per day in oil 
to 5 billion, so they are producing more oil. Uh, and it's, you see the economy is heavily dependent to date on oil and gas and its, its exports. But the transition is the last bullet point you see, which is UAE was the first Arab state to set a, near, uh, a, a net zero emissions target. Uh, and hence COP28, you're hearing at the end of the month. So here's some examples in the next few pages of how they're making this transition, which is quite impressive. Next page, please. So the solar park is the world's largest single site solar park. Uh, I don't have to show you all this, but the second from the bottom is when it's fully done, um, it's five gigawatts of power. And by that, uh, by that has 6.5 6 million tons of carbon emissions per year, it captures. So again, largest in the world, largest renewable projects and in in power producers in the world, two and a half gigs now, uh, and going to five gigs by, by, 20, by 2030. Impressive because it is the world's largest. Next page, please. Um, not to be outdone, hydro. This is not the world's largest, although it's the first. You see, in the first on the first bullet point, it's the first of its kind in the, in the GCC region. So it, it's what's unique about this is it's it's a combination of hydro uh, from the dam and also a tourist site below the dam where you the water gets recycled. So it's multiple use basically, and you can see there it's uh, it's it's on course. For Q424, where it'll have uh, uh, do 200, uh, 250 homes a year, 1,000 homes per year, and a lifespan of 80 years. So not the biggest ones you're going to find like in Asia, but still uh, the only, first of its kind in the GCC region, again, led by the UAE. Next bullet point, please. Waste to energy. Um, I find this quite impressive. It's uh, the world's largest and most efficient waste energy facility in Dubai become fully operational by Q1 next year. So it's, uh, and you can see the size of this, the second point is the data, you can be on your own. But the third bullet point is this alone will get to Dubai, this goal of 75% waste diversion by 2025. You might wanna ask yourself how many countries in the world have these three, including waste, which represents 75% of the target by 2025. It's already, the smaller ones are already functioning. This is the newest one um, to, to get done again, you see by, by, uh, by, next, by, by next year. Next page, please. Not to be outdone, desalination. Um, you just look at the second bullet point, second line. You see it's a desalination project. It's the third, large, it's the third largest in the UAE. Uh, they've already, th they already have three, three in the UAE and just, I didn't put this down, but for numbers wise, currently, without this plant being done, that's 42% of, of uh, UAE's water daily usage is, is from the existing ones, the existing three. While this will tilt it towards 70%, uh, Kuwait leads with 90% of, of its water supply desalinated, Saudi is at 70%. So it's not just these, it's not just UAE, but the whole region is, is uh, turning green quickly, despite the, the amount of oil, again, uh, and desalination. Um, there or thereabouts. Next is even more impressive. Again, that's the French helping that. This is the Koreans leading with this. That's Kepco. For those of you who don't know Kepco, Kepco is a, the largest power producer in, in Korea. Uh, it has, um, it's built the first nuclear power plant in the UAE and the Arabian Peninsula and the, and the whole Arab world. 
Um, as you can see, there's four nuclear reactors. They, they it's intended to supply 25% of UAE's energy needs, as you see. But last year alone, that plant went up to 48% of Abu Dhabi's electricity requirements last winter alone. So already, before this is done, it's the single largest center generator of electricity and largest source of clean electricity in the region already. That's the existing nuclear power plant. Next page, please. So you don't have to read all this. Basically, that China has 53 nuclear projects uh, already and 20 and more in construction. Let me take uh, just a couple minutes of our time to talk about the third bullet point, uh, which I presented at the uh, Arctic Circle Forum two weeks ago to 50 countries. So uh, in 1950, those of you that have seen Oppenheimer, uh, uh, you, you will have seen Teller have a word, had a go at Oppenheimer and didn't help his reputation going forward. But Teller himself created the uh, hydrogen atomic weapon and then also created something called thorium nuclear power in, in the 1950s. And in 1959, and, and thorium nuclear power is basically um, an element called thorium, which connected with 233 uranium produces nuclear power, but there's no plutonium, so there's no explosive, it's non-explosive. And, um, and this operated, it was created in 59, it was, he presented to the first oil company in America in 1959, saying we should deal with CO2, because it's gonna become a problem and thorium is a way to do it. Um, and in 1962 to 1972, that, uh, that thorium, I ran a cargo ship for successfully for, for 10 years. And then from uh, 65 to 69, it ran Oak Ridge um, uh, nuclear power plant in, in America. It also ran another one uh, after that. And finally, um, uh, Rickover from the US Navy was a big fan of it, uh, for, a fan of it. So it was pushing the development by the US government of Thorium, which had the IP, which Richard Nixon killed in 1975. Um, there are lots of reasons for that you can find there's all kinds of things about Wikipedia, but I won't say the obvious, but you will recognize that in the 60s, the priority was not green air, it was actually new explosive devices to kill other people. Hence the other two I've talked about before. But in 2010, in 2010, two brave uh, American uh, uh, senators, um, Orrin Hatch and uh, Harry Reid, jointly said to uh, Wang, um, 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 Chairman Zhang's son, when he was living in America, you could take this IP technology and build this nuclear power plant, this nuclear power with this IP, provided you give the IP back to us, and then we would share it with the world. So the IP sat from 75 to 2010 in the United States, never been developed. In 2011, China started working on this, and in 2023, this is now a functional power plant. So by 2030, it's, this is a non-explosive uh, onshore nuclear. Well, it's scheduled to produce 20,000 gigawatts. That's enough for 40 countries by one plant itself. Again, non-explosive. And for those of you who don't know, thorium is available in 30, widely available across 35 countries. Biggest deposits are in India, biggest deposits are in Australia. Um, and so China's plan is, is to build over 40 of these on BRI countries. Again, no water required, you build them in deserts. So this is the next phase of this. I believe this will be, certainly UAE will be a winner in having this as a core base. Again, a core base with the renewables sitting on top of this. Next page, please. 
Um, I, you, you're more aware of all three of these stock markets. If not, you can review at your at your convenience. The last the last sentence I was promoting, which is basically it started with construction and real estate. It's now moved into banking and finance and then all technology. So it's taken about 20 years to develop. Uh, the last five to seven years have been really in, in technology as well as banking and finance and new energy. Next page, please. I, I personally find this extraordinary because I, until I, I got into this, I didn't realize the, this, the, the good news that's coming out of this. So you see the top, it was the, the Abu Dhabi exchange was second for leading uh, in the region, 20% up last year, foreign investment increased, market caps increased. And remember, this is done in the context of last year's global indices, which is the worst performance since 2008. So the world index fell 20% NASDAQ by 33%, and S&P 19%. Meanwhile, Abu Dhabi is up 20%. Massively different. Because the world is waking up the power of what's happening of the power, financial power of the Gulf and, and the attractiveness of investing in the Gulf and working in the Gulf. Next page, please. Not to be outdone, uh, Dubai. Uh, earlier this year, it, it reached its eight-year high in the stock market. Fourteen uh, percent. Uh, it's taken eight years to get back to where it was uh, in, uh, in in 2015, or I think yes, 2015. Um, you see, it's out outperformed the Morgan Stanley Index so far this year, um, and it's part of this regional IPO boom uh, we br briefly mentioned below on on this. That's it's it's. it's uh, 3 billion Q1, it's, uh, it's third worldwide. But I should also note, not only is it um, interesting, but the people are clamoring for these shares. So basically you have, you have ridiculous oversubscription. I think one or two of these were over 100%, over 100 times oversubscribed. This also has happened in green bonds. For example, Landstar, that's green bond, I was multiple times oversubscribed. So there's huge investment. Uh, and those that can't get done this year have pushed it back to next year because it's a little slower for all the things you know about in today's world. Uh, so there's still a great deal of buildup, uh, much done so far this year, and again, continue to attract foreign capital. I, I might also, I'll just wait about the next page, please. Right, so the only thing looking at, at point, I want to point to here is the second one which is Goldman talking about how MENAS is becoming more important as a market. So the, the, the MSCI index will go from 7.3 to 10% near term. You see the re-rating of Goldman's gonna put on these emerging markets and, and also the investors around the world. And I think it's shocking to look at the last point, which is how much this expect, is expected to grow from what it is today into to 2075 by 10X in terms of size, and overall importance. Maybe get to the next page, please. Uh, longer term, uh, we've heard Biden talk about um, the the rail among GCC here. This is the planned rail from GCC, which was approved long before uh, Mr. Biden made his statements. And you'll see the um, the uh, the black route for, as the UAE route, which will go along the water in the UAE and go across into Oman. I was with the tourism people yesterday. Um, and the link will go across from Abu Dhabi across to the port. So it doesn't actually go all the way to the point. The rail does, but there'll be a shortcut across from Abu Dhabi, which is determining the timing of this um, 
execution and also the funding of it. And of course, Saudi Rail, which was a dream many, many years ago, is already starting construction. The Saudis have licensed that to the Chinese, not the Americans in high-speed rail. So um, you can see this is all taking shape. Now, why do I show this? Because what I don't want to show you, because of what's happening in the world today, is you go to Egypt and to put a hat across all this as a cover over all those, you'll see that's all linked into Turkey, where Turkey's worked, uh, worked all that together, ultimately into the Baltic region. The only piece in missing on that hat Palestine. So for obvious reasons, I left that the cap of this thing off the top of it, but assume Turkey has a, a vested interest in linking all of this together via Turkey in, in the, in the uh, ultimately the, the Baltic, well, sorry, the, the Black Sea. But this is all under, under construction. It's been agreed since 2009. It's been fast-tracked since 2021. So they're progressing very quickly to link this into this whole region, which MBS uh, has said will be the new Europe. Next page, please. This is, um, I, I work for a company called uh, this IANA Investment Research, you see on the left-hand side. IANA is a, a, a Dubai-based consulting company. I'm the CEO of the company. Um, uh, the company, uh, our chairman was the chairman of Arlington Energy here in the UK, where Master committed a billion pounds to grow the business last year. Um, so we're quite close to Mastar. Uh, Mastar is controlled by TACA and by ADNOC um, in green energy. And you can see what's happened in 18 months with Mastar's investments. It's really extraordinary. And remember also Mastar and all these things they're doing here, they may start with a joint venture, but these are ultimately controlling stakes. So it's funds, capital flowing out of the UAE via Mastar, via Adnoc, via TACA into all these different, all these different countries. Uh, next page, please. This gets interesting. So I, I don't want you to read the first three bullet points. And I will talk about the last one. Now, these are here for a reason because we work with the Hong Kong government, with the UK government, and this is for them to show that yes, we acknowledge what you're doing. What this is really about is the following. If you don't know this, the, um, as, as you know, a body needs water and, and blood to live, basically, right? So kind of needs, needs around 180 billion a year inbound FDI to continue to, to, to disrupt the growth. They've been capped in, in capital markets in the US and, and the last nine months, they've been increasingly capped by being capped by uh, US and its allies squeezing investment into China. US private equity funds have dried up into China. US venture capital firms have dried up into China therefore squeezing China's inbound FDI flow. Um, at the same time, um, the, uh, China's returned the favor because basically the U.S. is printing uh, new debt at a rate of one trillion a quarter. That's correct. It took, it took 200 and seven, over 200 years to get to half a trillion. They're not printing debt one trillion per quarter, which um, the China is no longer buying which UAE is no longer buying, which Saudi is no longer buying, and which the the, uh, the um, BRICS are no longer buying. So you're looking at a U.S. deficit, which is going to cost more and more and more interest, and no one's buying this stuff. You have two of the world's biggest powers trying to squeeze each other economically deeply at a, at a, at a point. So what's happened here is beginning in 2022, 
continue, continuing through 2023, um, UAE and Saudi have reached out and all GCC has reached out to East Asia, not just China, but uh, also Hong Kong and also other regions, uh, other part of East Asia, where, um, where basically there's tremendous flows going in. So in essence, right now, Saudi and UAE and those funds I told you about before have roughly one trillion under management. And by 2030, they'll go to two trillion under management. So if you want to then take, and if the Chinese 181 per year to run the country, that three that two trillion over the next seven years is the, the UAE can and Saudi alone can can fund China's growth. So no matter how America squeezes it, tries to kill it, these other countries with sending on the cash will will invest in this growth. The quid pro quo is obviously China's using its technology into uh, into into uh, in the in the Middle East, or and for and to be specific, it's the piece we haven't released till next week. That, you know, the, earlier this year, when the venture capital markets around the world tightened, half falling in half in 22, falling half again in 23, Mubadala, one of the biggest investors in in the UAE, has basically put several hundred million tranches into some of some of China's fastest growing companies. So again, the interdependency, the more importance of the Gulf with China and with East and with Hong Kong, it's becoming more uh, more important as the U.S. is squeeze out other, other options. Now on to the last point. Um, by the way, on that point, you might, oh, sorry, if you go back for a second, I'm cover, I want to cover that last point. The last point, uh, digital currency. And you'll see it's not just investment flows. It's also how do you work on a digital, uh, a digital currency, cross-border digital currency. Again, Hong Kong, China, Thailand, UAE with Hong Kong um, Central Bank. So longer term, they're that digital bank, that the digital pieces that China has been testing the last two or three years with Hong Kong will now broaden to include other companies, including 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 the Gulf, as we see here. Thank you. Next page. Oh, yeah, I guess one last piece is um, the, what's happening in, in uh, COP28. I'm not going because my boss is going. And I know one of the around my boss is a pretty important man, our chairman to be there. But I just highlight a couple more things. One is um, um, UAE is launching a four and a half billion fund uh, for Africa at the end of this month, which is an Abu Dhabi fund development, anti credit insurance, and Mastar. So that's that's four and a half billion a capital platform for Africa. And then um, uh, I think we also that's all we also follow do something called GCC MENA, Renewable Financing. There's a whole lot of more information on how, how these flows are, but we can assure you that the primary flows, capital flows to rebuild renewable markets around the world, whether it's East Asia, whether it's Central Asia, are being driven by the, the, the middle, by the Gulf. So it's not just hydrocarbons, they're recircling, recycling that equity and that debt to rebuild the rest of the world's transition towards renewables. Um, I think Mike, that's about enough. I'm at 25 minutes, we can then open it to questions if that's okay with everybody. Well, thank you very much, Henry. There's a lot of uh, detail um, in there, but also some really interesting thoughts about global trends. Uh, we've got a number of questions uh, already uh, come in, but please do continue putting your questions through uh, using the, the dashboard. Um, Herbie Skeet um, has asked the question of 
just comparing cap capital markets in the region, if you were to look at Qatar versus UAE, um, and if UAE is leading, um, what steps do you think Qatar needs to take to catch up and uh, challenge UAE for leadership? Well, um, I, as well, first of all, this is not a GCC presentation, it's a UAE presentation, but I would say from a, from a banking point of view, we're also, we follow uh, Saudi quite closely as it opens up closely. So I, I'm looking in terms of priorities, I would say, and the others are smaller, much smaller in the region, as you probably know. I think it was uh, Adnoc had a, an IPO they did in Egypt this summer. So that these are much smaller exchanges where you, the focus to date has been UAE for obvious reasons and with Saudi behind it. And from a banking perspective, uh, I could tell you big banks in, in, the, in the Gulf are much more focused on UAE with large underwriting spreads than Saudi with virtually no underwriting spreads. And I'm not sure where Qatar is. But, so I can't really Qatar per se, but I will say these markets will continue to flourish. And it's not just me, it's Goldman, Morgan Stanley, and you know, global investors. Making, I, I have, we track all this stuff. I've seen, I haven't seen that much Qatar outbound. And I haven't seen that much Qatar inbound. So the flows are not really so much in and out of there from, a, from an investment flow point of view. And I'm not sure about uh, public markets. Can't comment. Sorry. Uh, that's okay. <clears throat> um, Herbie, you'll have to go and do your own research, I think, on the on Qatar and where we are. Um, a question from Haitanaska, who's um, just wondering whether you're up to date with you know, what is what the UAE's policy is on controlling emissions from the oil and gas sector, um, since there are new regulations coming in that include the oil and gas marine export shipping. Um, but how are they approaching the um, the question of controlling emissions or reducing emissions from the oil and gas sector. I think uh, I, 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 would, I would again defer to COP28 because a lot of this stuff still in, in, in being in, in, in writing. I'm aware of some of the policy issues being discussed. I'm aware, aware of some of the investments that are going to be discussed, or, or, but I'd rather not jump ahead of what's going to happen out of COP28. From a shipping point of view, I've just presented um, if you want, Mike, I'll send you this document on shipping. I've done a comprehensive piece on nuclear shipping and IMO and ABS and all that uh, on shipping exchanges and, 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 and rules regarding emissions on shipping. I'm happy to send that to you to share with your, with your clients. Super. Thank you very much. <clears throat> um, Clive Pullins asked the question, um, given the rise in global temperatures, you know, is there more that can be done in the region to harness solar power? Uh, and to help poorer countries with solar. I think you mentioned the investment flowing from UAE to Africa. Um, and as part of that, um, do you know whether part of that is directed towards uh, the energy transition in Africa? Um, so we are a firm that advises on what mix you would want from a country. So uh, we talk to countries and say, what should our mix look like today? What should it look like five or 10 years from now, et cetera, et cetera. So we look at all different forms of energy. Yes, and I've tried to give you a tip that once that thorium piece, yes, is good to go. But there are two angles of it. So it's Gen 4 nuclear. Today, we, you don't have time to go through Gen 4 nuclear today on this. That's a much longer conversation. But Gen 4 nuclear is now functional. It's functional with small modular reactors, which are being led by Westinghouse in the United States and, and uh, Rolls-Royce here in the UK. Um, they're, they're looking for sanction from both governments, sign up and go for both governments by 2024. These are game changers. 
So yes, that's does number one. Number two, thorium is a complete game changer because basically it's my understanding, and I've I've spoken to China about this, but I don't have formal commitment, nor should I get formal commitment. But the plan, I think, in these 41 countries is the core base running the country will be thorium. Because there's there's no there's no explosions and virtually no nuclear remains, basically. And if there are, they're less than 100 years versus 10,000 years. So these will be core around the country, but they won't be fully functional until 33, 34, something like that. But these small modular reactors is really where a lot of these countries are going to go, not so much solar. So the understanding is, back to the hat on top, if the core is the is Gen 4 reactors, Gen 4 nuclear, the top of that would then be uh, solar, wind, yes, hydro, et cetera, hydrogen. Mm -hmm. It's a race, you know, whereas we know it's a race, who does what, how fast it is, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I do, I'm a strong believer, if you haven't followed these new small modular reactors, you really need to do that if you're interested in this because that's the growth area. I spoke on a panel with US nuclear power um, so I'm was complimentary because I did the thorium piece and the offshore tipping piece and they did the, the, the onshore modular reactor piece. So I I think you probably could get that from the uh, from the, uh, the their presentation too. So I'll try and get that for you from anyway. If you're but anybody who's looking at energy should look at these Gen 4 reactors because they're not explosive. It's completely what you have taught, learned about nuclear history. That's part of any. <clears throat> Thank you very much. Um, Athanaska is also asking, you know, are, are there about the targets to cut cut emissions and the desalination processing? And I imagine this is really about energy mix. Um, you know, if you're using oil to run your desalination plant, um, you know, there's one emissions pattern. But if you're using um, cheap nuclear or um, solar uh, to generate that energy. Um, you've got a different emissions target. But do, do you know uh, whether the new technologies you're talking about, so the new investments, infrastructure investments, uh, are tied together so that the um, energy is coming from the new renewables? Uh, yeah, the answer is yes, yes, yeah. But I think it varies by country. I mean, I, it's it's so interesting. I was with fifty over 50 countries um, last week in Iceland. And to hear some of these countries that you think are so advanced you know, one country, I won't use names, can run the whole country offshore wind, but they have no battery storage, none. That hasn't thought, it hasn't come in their head, oh my gosh, we should build battery storage because, right? Because when the wind stops blowing, they don't need batteries, wrong. When the wind stops blowing, you still need batteries to run the power of the offshore wind. So it depends. I mean, I, I don't, outside of someone like the UAE and maybe Saudi, because also we're working with, we're working with Saudi on Algae to biofuel, incredible. It's being led by Malaysia, and the Malaysian finance minister, uh, energy manager, minister actually talks about now that they fly on biofuel driven by algae. So all this stuff's all new, and this, these mixes are different depending on depending on where they are. So, but so far, Saudi's not approved this, or Malaysia's used it, Japan's using it, China's using it, Saudi's not approved it yet. Again, the energy mix keeps moving. But the new technology is being formed. I think that's right, and I think if you look across you know, different parts of the world, um, there's different technologies coming to the fore in in, in different places, um, and you know, <clears throat> all of these options um, are the ones that are available. But um, very interesting to hear your thinking about sort of modular reactors. 
Um, Herbie Skeet is, you know, is, is intrigued by the thorium story. Uh, his first degree, he said, was in nuclear energy back in the 70s. But um, Well, he should having, know all this then. Hey, why do well, you guys well, do well, this? Why'd you, why'd you sit on this for 25 years, you guys? Come on. Well, no, but his question is, why? how come the thorium story was untold back then? Uh, well, was, you'll have to ask Mr. Nixon. And uh, if any of you guys are submarine people, like I, I'm a friend of submarines, <clears throat> um, Rick Offer was all over this. And his, if you've seen Rock, uh, if you've seen Oppenheimer, you see there are characters involved in here. And some of those characters of these brilliant scientists rubbed people the wrong way. Right? So things didn't happen. Just, just because you're not, just because you're a brilliant scientist, you're still stuck in, in these massive things called governments. Why Richard Nixon said kill it, I have no idea. You'll have to ask. I've, I have found a series, I've actually found enough text to write the script for the follow-on from Oppenheimer. Because that's what this is, really. That's the Oppenheimer piece that hasn't been told. So I've actually found all that stuff, which is really quite juicy. But that sounds like you and Herbie might need to go out for um, a, a brief half together um, and swap well, stories. It's like, I'm not allowed to say this in a public saying, but when you, and I'm not sure I want to say it on tape, but if you could come to the conclusion that someone thought, why do I want to have power, even though Eisenhower said it's meant for safe safety, why do I want to have power to help green the world when I can have uh, uranium rods to blow up the world? You could argue that, right? For example, yeah. yeah. Um, Shane Trinian has put a question. He's asked, "What changes do you think we'll see in U.S. fiscal policy as as a result of the move away from the the dollar by the Saudi, UAE, BRICS, China? Um, where, where does the U.S. go in its response?" I don't think they have a clue. Actually, I think that um, I um, I believe that the Hamas was a trap. I follow ex-CIA people closely. And Hamas is a trap to draw America in to bankrupt them in Iran and Turkey. That's why all those military people are there. That's why US have already shut down discussions with Zelensky. So I think this is all a trap to uh, to break to, to break the US, to bankrupt the US. Don't you believe uh, that? But, but, do you, but do, you, do you see that's the only story, or is there other things that U.S. are doing? Obviously, I said the Palestine's missing from the linkage, or didn't I? I said Palestine's linking the rail linkage. Yes, as well. Um, but yes, I do believe that there's a, 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 a war between China and the U.S. and who can outspend and who can raise enough money to outspend the other one. It's a variation of the Soviet Union, in my mm -hmm. opinion. But I'm just a banker, so what do I know? <laughs> I think the, the the other interesting thing here is for me is just looking ahead to COP, um, and with the COP taking place in Dubai, um, and UAE um, wanted to, to demonstrate, I guess, its leadership in terms of energy transition. Uh, is this just the Gulf states becoming more confident, more um, you know, able to show their uh, financial and economic uh, weight? Um, and are they using that the, the, the sovereign wealth funds you know, to create a, a position in the world? Uh, it's it's multiple reasons, as you can tell by your question, right? So first of all, they they, they address this. That everyone's saying, yeah, hydrocarbons, hydrocarbons. 
you're not helping the world. So I've tried a few examples to show you how they work in this for some period of time. They addressed this a long time ago, actually. And now that now it's accelerating, and now they're selling or reading it around all those other countries I showed you. That's one piece of it. But sure, once once we get to a world where you can't IPO, Chinese can't IPO in the USA, right? And the other European markets don't want to help them. You've got to actually have enough cash flow to run the country. You got to find them someplace. Yes, and what is China have to offer? That we track these investments, Gulf into other parts of the world, other parts of the world, and the Gulf virtually no Chinese investment. All Chinese construction, EPC contracts, uh, EPC, uh, technology, battery technology, for uh, uh, NEVs, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, AI, um, smart cities, that's all Chinese technology, but it's not Chinese investment. So the quid pro quo is there's the investment that comes from the Gulf, but that technology comes from China because the Chinese have the lean technology, which it goes back to years of research, et cetera, et cetera. China now leads the world in research. China mm -hmm. now leads the world in NIP submissions, while the rest of the world's doing other things. Yes, I mean, if you, if you just, just look at the number of patents um, filed per head of population in China, it exactly. is way outstrips uh, any other oh. country in the world. Oh. Yeah. Um, just a, a, a future gazing, I guess. Um, Ian Stewart has just um, noted that the US dollar of a share of global forex uh, and forex reserves hasn't changed materially since 2019. Um, but saying BRICS you know, and the others don't have an alternative currency. Um, where's the alternative to US dollar narrative coming from? Oh, he sorry, sorry, yeah. a, he would describe that as a false narrative. No, no, that's no, that's all correct. Uh, I'm, I, I come at you as you know, Mike. I come at it from the detail up. So if I look at it, yeah, two days ago, the first Argentina trade has come out of uh, out of RMB between Argentina and RMB. Uh, as you know, all Russian oil with India's Russian currency, with its local currencies, are what making these trades. And you say you saw Kenya said, I don't want to use the dollar anymore until I have to. So all trades are bilateral trades with their own currencies in Africa. It's just people want to go their own individual currencies and not lock themselves to to the dollar. I mean, it's not good when Afghanistan has no money because the U.S. took seven billion of cash away from Afghanistan and then people are starving, or three fifty billion out of just automatically out of Russia. There are a lot of countries, as you know, Indonesia is threatened to stop Mastercard and Visa for this reason because the the someday I was at a film opening. Three weeks ago by the FBI, and when the FBI was quoting in it, fantastic, where someone from the FBI said, if you ever trade a dollar anywhere in the world, we can arrest you on a, in a film, in a feature film. So I don't think when people hear that, that makes them very comfortable. They're looking for their own currency. Thank you. That's, um, that's, that's very clear. Um, you also mentioned the sort of flow of UAE investment to places other than China in Asia. Um, and you and I have spoken before about you know, looking at Malaysia and Vietnam and um, you know, the other places which are now picking up uh, investment. Um, do you think this is, a, again, a strategic move on the part of UAE to be uh, close to those emerging economies in Asia? Well, I think, first of all, they're the Arab Brotherhood. These go back thousands of years, everybody, right? I mean, they're very close. My, my understanding of something I've been working on tangentially is a sizable fund coming out of COP28 going into Malaysia and Indonesia. 
You've seen massive um, protests in the last 48 hours in Indonesia about what's happening in Palestine. This, this, you know, there's a world's the Islamic population is getting bigger, biggest part of the world, and that's a that's a long Sunni brotherhood. And there's wealth in those countries. And I expect them to be friends with each other, and it's close. They're very close, and they don't want to be disrupted by anybody else. And they're drawing, and, and this stuff's happening to to disrupt that. And I think they'll just draw them closer. Coming towards the end of the session, but I wonder whether you know if you if you were given the position of uh, advising U UK investors or UK government on their positioning, um, how what kind of response would you um, be advising at the moment in, in terms of in terms of UAE in particular? We've got already close links with UAE, but you know w where do we go from here? Well, I'm a practical guy, so I'm uh, as you know. So so first of all, the UAE has been fantastic to the UK as an investor. Yes, we have a 5G third generation port in the southeast part of the country. Fantastic, right? Yes, and no one talks about it. Did you know that? Mm -hmm. You might know that and an SEZ around it, but people don't talk about it, right? This has been fantastic. So in the Mazdar case, they put a billion into, into Arlington here for battery storage. They've also followed up with some AI to follow with, with as a follow-on deal. However, they've been very, very local of saying we want to do a lot more and we're blocked by people who don't want to do a lot more. They say they want to do a lot more of an operation or not. Now, I'm not involved in those political discussions, but you know it's, it's obvious they're frustrated because they made it very clear when someone puts a billion pounds in your country for battery storage, you want to grow the business. And, and Mastar is not someone... These are very quiet, private people, professional people. I work with them. They're not. It's not normal for them to whinge <laughs> or complain in newspapers. And they're, I think they feel frustrated. And that's what certainly the behavior is. So I think there's a very warm relationship between the two countries. I think also they put some money into life sciences for us here. They've been very, it's been terrific. Um, but I think the, the proof of the pudding is in the eating, not just in the, in the, you know, the concept. And I think operationally, it's not really worked to date as, as it's planned, unfortunately. Although I we just signed a deal last Monday, a battery, small battery cell company, which is unique um, in this country. Uh, the technology is unique in the country. It can be used elsewhere. But again, funding was led by UAE and Hong Kong. Yeah. So that's another technology and innovation uh, from UAE and Hong Kong into the UK and then we have the technology we can they can be used elsewhere. So it's still happening the investment's still happening. It's very active. The question is how do you then move on to the practical side of it? Well Henry, thank you so much. We are I'm afraid out of time. Um, but it's been a fascinating uh, run through um, a whole set of um, you know news I guess from the UAE and the and the successes that they've had there. Um, so just looking ahead uh, we have some interesting, uh, uh, <coughs> first of all, uh, again, to thank our sponsors. Um, I mentioned them earlier, but um, you know, we really are grateful for their support um, and like to range freely in these webinars uh, across a range of subjects. Coming up uh, tomorrow, a session on whether the City of London has benefited from Brexit as the golden days continue to fade. 
next Tuesday when London is the best place in the world to resolve legal disputes. Um, Wednesday the 15th, the psychology behind getting what you want. Uh, really looking forward to those. Do keep an eye on the website for forthcoming events. Um, Henry, a large thank you again um, for organising this session. Uh, really timely in the lead up to um, COP28. Um, as always, uh, we're very grateful to you for your insights. Uh, so thank you very much. Thank you, audience, for taking part. Uh, we'll see you again soon. Thank you. I will send the I will send the thorium marine piece to you for and share with anybody who wants to to read it. Okay. Super. Thank you very much, Henry. Thank you all. Thank bye you. bye. Bye bye.